1: Welcome to Sunday Civics, the home for the civically engaged. I am your host and civics teacher, Eljoy Williams, and I am so happy that you made it to class this holiday weekend. It is a holiday weekend. But if you've been paying attention to political headlines for the last few days, there has been a lot of conversation about Texas and the Supreme Court. And there's a lot to discuss about Texas, how they're handling COVID protections for school return, how they are handling redistricting. There's a lot to discuss that Texas always has going on. But this week, a law that Texas passed, which prohibits abortions in most cases after six weeks of pregnancy, took effect. The Supreme Court, in a 5-4 to four decision, actually refused to put the law on hold because the law is still making its way through the court system. Now, that's a whole nother show on whether or not the Supreme make up and whether in the decision that they made not to intervene. Yeah, we'll have to have a whole separate show on that, but... Following the news of uh, the Supreme Court's decision, Republican state lawmakers in seven states and counting are suggesting that they would attempt passing similar legislation or amending their current state's law to mirror the Texas legislation, which is extremely restrictive. So it's going to be a lot to combat in the states on top of still managing a health and economic COVID crisis, and as I mentioned at the top, redistricting is happening as well, and that is happening on the state level and will have an impact on the political landscape for the next decade. So, make no mistake, the battle to protect a woman's right to control her own body and make decisions for her own personal health care has been reaching this point for some time. This morning, Amanda Matos, who's the senior director for constituency campaigns at Planned Parenthood Federation of America, will come to the front of the class to talk about this. Her and I spoke a week or so before the Texas law took effect and the Supreme Court declined to step in. But before we go there, I I want to revisit a conversation that I had with professional troublemaker Liz Winstead, the founder of Lady Parts Justice, who was talking about this drumbeat that was happening in the states of different states, including Indiana. I think we had a a long conversation about what was happening in Indiana. States all across the country, particularly where there are GOP strongholds are introducing and passing legislation that would continue to chip away at Roe v. Wade. Came to the show some time ago and talked about that. And so we'll revisit that conversation just before we go to Amanda. On today's episode, we're talking about lady parts. You heard me correctly, we're talking about lady parts. So plan to be a little bit uncomfortable, even I'm probably gonna be a little bit uncomfortable as we go through this episode, but specifically we're talking about the fight to preserve and expand women's rights to determine what's best for our own lady parts because no one should be in control of our lady parts except for the lady who owns the parts. And to have this conversation with me, I got my thorough with girls with me, Damn. I got June, my civic accomplice. June like the month, Moses like the Bible. Hey, June. What's
3: good? LJ Williams, political strategist. How are your lady parts? My, my, oh. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um, they're fine. Thank you very much.
3: That's wonderful.
1: Okay. Joining us for this conversation today is one of my favorites. I love her so much, and I haven't seen her in like six months of Sundays. I know the 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 phrase is a month of Sundays, but it's like literally been a six month of Sundays. <laughs> Liz Winstead is with us. Welcome to the show, Yay! Liz. Good morning. Thank you.
0: I know. I have been also we're just all you know, it's the dumpster fire and it's like you try you we can't even get to, this is all part of the evil plan mm. is to keep us apart because otherwise, right? Yes. I mean, the chaos is so crazy that we can't see each other. We can't even brunch. We, we can't, can't go to br- like There's no brunch. And it is. It really is a plot to keep
1: us running. And I've said it on the show before, is to keep us running from crisis to crisis, that yeah. we don't have time to plan. We don't have time to build coalition. We don't have time to fight back. And that's really what this is designed to do. It's like you're trying to put out fires here and there. Meanwhile, you know, there's a raging one on the second floor and you you on the 12th floor and, you know, people are screaming out from the window, come help me. And then you got to send Larry to go to be a lawyer to try to get people out of meanwhile, jail. Meanwhile,
3: my own block is on fire. Right. Meanwhile, <laughs> meanwhile
1: we couldn't park on a block yesterday. I was trying to record a YouTube video. Got June yelling at me for being late and because Con Ed was out there. Like, there's too much stuff going on. on. Too much. It's way too much going I'm on. I'm tired. But you know, even though there's a lot going on, what we try to provide you here on the show, and really on SiriusXM Review over the course of the entire channel, yeah. is to give you s- some directions, some tools that you can use, some resources, some things that you can do to take civic action in your communities, in your neighborhood, really in this country, because that's really what we need people to do. And before we left, I made mention that people were going to jail for miscarriages. And, you know, I'm going to tell you about the story. The story is in El Salvador. It's one of, even though a lot of the countries in Latin America are lifting the restrictions that were in existence on abortion, a lot of them, there are five or six that still maintain there's no abortion for anybody. I don't care if your life in danger, Nobody like nobody's having abortions. The story that I found in The Times They were talking about this new campaign in El Salvador, Liz, where they're trying to use social media. They're trying to use education and everything. Their representatives have introduced bills to try to at least the bare minimum of like a woman's life is in danger in allowing abortion to occur. You know, you may be saying, Joy, that's in El Salvador. It's not in the United States. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. it's not something that you should be concerned about. Mm -hmm. But in Indiana, Mm -hmm. they just passed a new law, Senate Bill 340. It requires that doctors gather data about women who came to see them about abortion complications. Hmm. Yeah. So the doctors then have to, it's a a reporting (laughs) requirement. And you may think in general that this oh maybe they're just trying to collect data and information to see if there's some trends which you know maybe you should need if there's some trends maybe you know women go into one particular doctor or you know in a cluster of people you may think it's innocent no you just need that information but here's the detailed information they have to provide it's the location the date of the abortion prior treatments for complications Also, the county that the woman lives in, her state of residence, her age, and her race. Race. What? Race. No.
3: Oh. No. And then
1: also the patient's education
3: level. What? Okay. Because that's... No.
1: Now, mind you, Indiana is also one of those states where they're required to, if you get an abortion, they're required to do like the informed consent thing, where they have to give you a pamphlet and they tell you, in Indiana, Liz, we prefer for you to have the
0: child. Mm Mm-hmm. They also lie about the medical. I have a lot to talk to you about with Indiana. (laughs) They force physicians with state mandated language that is medically inaccurate. So a doctor has to say to a patient, I am required by the state of Indiana, and this is a, this happens in over a dozen states, I'm required by the state of Indiana to tell you, even though it's not medically accurate, and thank God the physicians have workarounds mm-hmm. where they say, even though this is not medically accurate, that if you have an abortion, you will never be able to have children. I am required by the state of Indiana to tell you that if you have an abortion, it raises your risk of breast cancer. And it's all a lie. In fact, in North Dakota, they have this law and they tried to pass another law that said you can't say I'm required by the state and give the caveat that you are lying. Wow. That didn't pass. But back to your El Salvador story, the state of Indiana, tying it together for you, there was a woman named Pervy Patel mm-hmm. uh, who was could not get access to to a safe abortion and attempted an abortion of her own and miscarried, was sentenced to 41 years in prison. Yep. She served 18 months under appeal, and that is in in Indiana.
3: That would be Indiana in the
0: United States. This is Indiana, Indiana. Right. Home of my...
3: Pence, In America. our vice
0: president, right. yes, okay. And what's what's scary about these setting up these medical reportations is everything, <laughs> but also that they can define complications from an abortion to if you let's say something happened six months if you had an abortion they could say they could define that for you as a complication and then go ahead and ask you more questions. Uh-huh. And so that part of it's very scary. The other thing about abortion, it's the safest medical procedure you can have. It's safer yeah. than having your wisdom teeth pulled. In fact, they put these laws in place that are called trap laws set up to trap these clinics. And one of the trap laws is if you are a doctor that provides abortion, you have to have admitting privileges at a hospital in order for you to practice. Now that sounds on the face, okay, I want to make sure that a doctor that I go to can have admitting privileges. Well, A, if you go to a hospital, they have to admit you no matter what happens. But B, abortion is so safe that a doctor can't qualify for admitting privileges because you have to show how much of a caseload you would bring to that hospital. Wow. And because you won't bring a caseload to the hospital because abortion so safe, that doctor is then denied admitting privileges. Thus, it could close the clinic.
1: You see how evil evil is?
0: Yeah. <laughs> I know. And it's funny because in
3: Indiana, they don't require the similar questioning for women who've had a miscarriage to get a DNC, which is right. technically the, the exact same, same procedure. That's exactly correct. It's what happens. One is happening when the fetus is viable, when you technically could proceed through yes. pregnancy. The other is you've had a miscarriage and there is a procedure. Both the procedure is the same to remove the body of the fetus from the woman. And they don't require any of this information if you've had a DNC.
1: Right. And it also, you know, I've talked about it a number of times before, I've had two miscarriages and it's... In different states, if I would lived in different states, they could be considered abortions or in some of these laws that states have tried to implement, I would be held criminally responsible for making a decision to save my life and in, in terms of my second one, rather than going forward. And if and you it, were in El Salvador, you'd be in jail. I would be in jail. This all brings me to the work that Liz does with Lady Parts Justice. I actually like the description of this, and this is why this is important for me to lead with. It says, Lady Parts Justice is the first not safe for work rapid response reproductive rights messaging hub that uses comedy culture and digital media to sound an alarm about terrifying erosion of access to reproductive rights why is this not safe for work Liz
0: because we are in your face we swear sometimes you know we figure this you know this is what the fuck times we need to be saying what the fuck sometimes Sunday morning that's
2: right (laughs) Sunday morning you can blate me out
0: Um, but really for us it's it's so crucial that these laws are coming all the way down the pike and they're And it's happening all the time. And as we talk about getting out the vote drives, most of these laws are coming out of state legislatures and they're happening to mostly poor women and black and brown women. You know, that is who it's happening to. And so to me, it's massively frustrating to have laws where you don't help somebody economically disadvantaged to raise their kids. And right. you don't help them to make the decisions they need if right now is not the time for them to have a kid either. And then you shame people for being sexual, and then you are in denial that we live in a society that is sexual. So you're not only demonizing abortion, you're demonizing parenthood, you're demonizing motherhood, mm-hmm. and you're demonizing birth control. Therefore, living in some fantasy land where there's abstinence and unicorns where nobody lives.
1: (laughs) You know, it, it never made sense to me. And even growing up in a church household, it was always described to me as we don't do abortion like we don't do but we're not going to enforce what other what other people do. In this household that's not what we do. Like <laughs> like personally you're going to have a kid, but we're not going out and marching and protesting against people so they don't have the access that they possibly need at the same time. The other thing that gets me about this just bringing Larry bring in, you into this conversation is that I believe that abortion should be safe, legal, rare, right? There are all sorts of things we know on how to make that happen. Right. (laughs) Like to make it, like provide opportunity for people to have it if they need it, if they so make that choice. Right. But if you want to, I got in an argument with someone before uh, about this. I was like, if you want to reduce people making that choice and there's all sorts of things you need to provide to people before they even get there. right? Mm -hmm. So why don't we just focus on providing all of that stuff then, then it actually will reduce the necessity for actually using the procedure. I don't,
3: Yeah, I feel like this conversation really taps into the puritanical nature of Americans. I'd actually shared on Facebook. There was an article, I think it was Sweden, that it talked about the difference in abstinence or uh, sex education I should say. Oh yeah, Between Sweden and the United States. And there was, first of all, they start in like pre-K. So these are your lady parts (laughs) in (laughs) pre-K. These are your your boy parts or whatever. And so they are having very age-appropriate rational conversations. This is a penis. This is a vagina. When you are making love, when you are having sex, this is what is happening. This is what is produced kind of as sterile as when you break a bone you go to the doctor they take an x-ray this is the cat just very matter of fact Yeah, because babies are things that happen You know, sex is a thing that happens. And their STD rate, their child out of wedlock, childbirth rate, every rate that people who say in America they care about and they want to prevent skyrocketing rates of abortion and child born out of wedlock, every category that people here measure, they are excelling at. They are lower in STDs. They are lower in unwarranted pregnancies. And they have a real honest conversation about sex education as soon as kids are able to ask questions. Do you mean that if you talk to people and actually teach them about
1: their lady parts and their male parts and talk about the facts of life of people are going to have sex because they're human beings that will a result in people being actually educated and making better choices.
0: Yes. yes. And turns out, so the name of our organization comes from this very topic. It's a super important thing to talk about. I'm glad you brought up Sweden. So there was a woman named Lisa Brown, who's a state legislator in Michigan, and they were trying to propose a state mandated transvaginal ultrasound to anybody who <laughs> needed to have an abortion. Mm. And transvaginal ultrasounds are great if you're looking for a cyst, if you're looking for many things. If you don't need a transvaginal ultrasound, it's really disturbing and awful. And it's akin to state rape, quite frankly. Mm. So Lisa Brown was arguing against this law, and the Speaker of the State House banned her from saying the word vagina on the floor, Mm. and said, if you say it one more time, I'm throwing you off the floor. And she said, I'm arguing a transvaginal ultrasound bill. What would you rather have me say? And he said, something more appropriate like lady parts. Wow. So this man... (laughs) who felt yeah. entitled to legislate a vagina could not say the word. And mm. for me, that was just so outrageous. It's good to remember, like, not to get into some thing, but, like, when you talk about vaginas and penises and your children really understand that, it really helps them when... Because if you use hoo-ha and lady parts with your little kids, if something were to happen to That's them, right. they don't... under if, if a grown person says, I want you to touch my penis, and you say some goofy word for penis... They don't know that they're not supposed to touch that penis, Mm -hmm. right? Or that that's a bad thing that someone's asking of them as an adult. So when they can say, somebody touched my vagina, it's super important. So saying that is like, God bless Sweden. Yeah, seriously. it's Seriously. It's so great. So yeah, so what we do is we make videos kind of exposing these horrible politicians. And that's sort of our jumping off point. And the most important thing we do that I really love is we spend our whole summer Traveling around the we travel around the country and we do shows music and comedy shows where we gather hundreds of people in a room and then we have conversations with the activists who live on the ground a reproductive justice and reproductive rights activist and and one of the independent clinics and they talk about the struggles that, that they are under these laws and what they need from the community mm-hmm. how can you be helpful and then the people from my my shows sign up immediately to be volunteers. So we're growing local volunteer bases, and then we do GOTV in every town we go to. So it's really fun to work with local activists to get out the vote it's really fun to simply be a conduit, like doing a show so that the people who live in the community can talk to their own community about what those needs mean.
1: Because they know the people I mean, this is your community. You know the people that work here. You yeah. know the people that provide the service. The other thing that I thought was really cute, I think it was last summer, you guys painted and provided like a yellow brick road yes. in the independent center because there were, you know, there's a lot of protests and things that happen in front of these centers and so I've already made a decision that may or may not be difficult for my family may or may not be difficult for me because I hate to burst you guys bubble but it's not just single women who are strippers and like the lowest of the low making the decision to have abortions mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No. So, turns so, out so, you know and married actually women who married women
0: kids. yeah, <laughs> yeah right. so. 65%, 65% yeah mm. 65% of all women who've had an abortion have one or more kids right. you know and they're making it for economic reasons we do not allow people to make choices you know when we talk about pro-choice i don't really like to say the word pro-choice because for people who are economically disadvantaged sometimes they don't it's not their choice sometimes they're looking at economics and you and that is the reason that they decide to terminate a pregnancy and until we have an economic place where people actually everyone has a choice you know i i say anti-abortion i say a lot of things but i just feel like it ain't pro-choice if you actually don't have a choice you know it just isn't considering you have
3: to like Figured we were reading an article in the show notes about people, women who can't afford diapers for their kids. Yes. Like you literally, like two packs of diapers would wipe out your $15 that that's you have. Exactly right. That needs to last you until you can get to your next paycheck. And when that's the economy that we're living in, we're cutting all types of social services. The social safety nets, such as it still exists, are completely eviscerating. And you want me to produce life and then nurture it? Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Liz, for joining us for Thanks this you conversation. Thanks for having me.
1: Thank you so much. I, yes. I hope you learned a little something, you know, got a little bit out of your comfort zone. I know some of you who are listening may lean on the conservative side. Well, welcome. Welcome to this conversation. We'll be right back. Schoolboy and schoolgirl come
0: together. Who is the teacher?
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome back to Sunday Civics, the home for the civically engaged. I am your host, your civics teacher, your neighborhood political strategist, L. Joy Williams. And I am so happy that you made this a class this morning. And we're going to talk about a lot. We're going to talk about reproductive justice. Yes, I know, again, um, we've had conversations about this before, but I have somebody new to bring to the front of the class for that conversation. And I'm looking forward to hearing from her for the very first time. I have joining the show for the very first time, Amanda, (laughs) Matos, <laughs> who brings over a decade of experience in organizing in reproductive justice. This is the first time she has joined us on Sunday Civics. Amanda, thank you so very much for joining us this morning. You are now the Senior
2: Director of Campaigns over at Planned Parenthood, right? Yes, thank you for having me. I definitely have one of the best jobs at Planned Parenthood. Well, I wanna hear a little bit about uh, what you're responsible for. Cause you're
1: responsible for like three different entities or three different organizing campaigns. I don't know, You'll, you'll let us know.
2: I'll let you know everything. What I will share and what I mean by saying I have one of the best jobs at Planned Parenthood is every single day I get to work with young leaders of color on organizing from the local, the state to the federal level. And we unapologetically have a lens that's bringing in our racial identities, our gender identities and our fullest selves to what it means to achieve reproductive freedom. I love it. I said
1: in the beginning that we had a conversation about reproductive justice before. We started with a framework that a number of reproductive justice organizations that primarily focus on women of color, particularly Black women that came together and put forth an agenda. And so we began that conversation of defining what reproductive justice is and talking about it holistically. And so now to come back and have Planned Parenthood or a rep from Planned Parenthood to come and talk about what Planned Parenthood is doing is great. But before we get into all of that in-depth conversation, since this is your first time on the show and we believe in the power of storytelling here on Sunday Civics, I want to hear the story of your first civic action.
2: Mm, Thank you for that question. And I'm going to share a story I've never shared before. My first civic action was when I was 13 years old And as a stringent rule follower, I broke my first rule and I broke my school's dress code. Um, So to give a little bit more background, I'm from the Bronx, New York, a very proud New Yorker, very proud Bronx woman. um, And I come from a matriarchy of strong Puerto Rican women. I've been raised to be bold and to be feminist and to embrace every aspect of my identity. And for most of my education, I attended Catholic parochial school. So that means that for about 13 years of my life, I was supposed to follow strict dress codes. Everything from I need to wear a plaid skirt that can't be one to two inches above my knee, to my hoop earrings must be smaller than a quarter. My hair scrunchies have to be the school of colors and my nails could never be painted. Um, so of course, being raised by some strong feminist people um, who have been unapologetic about culture and identity and then going to a school that was restricting my self-expression, it, it, was, it was something in the making already. Um, And so when I was 13, I remember to this day, it was my eighth grade prom and eighth grade graduation weekend, end of the school year. And I wanted to paint my nails. Um, And for me and for I think so many folks is that, you know, from nails to my hair to my self-expression is so deeply tied to my culture. It's so deeply tied for me being a woman of color, being Latina, being Puerto Rican. And so really at the end of the day, I made a calculated decision as a 13 year old that getting my nails painted will not harm or hurt anyone. Instead, it would just make me feel good for that moment as I get ready for my eighth grade prom and then my graduation within the span of a couple of days. And so I remember going to school still in that uniform, having my nails painted, and so many of my other classmates similarly were getting ready for their celebrations. And the principal called us in one by one, examined our nails, examined our appearances, and gave us all detention. And in that moment, it was the first time in school I I actually ever got in trouble. So I was totally that goody two shoes, that nerd, that person that followed all the rules. But I had enough because I felt that my self-expression was being held back. And it felt really good to walk into the principal's office in that moment and proudly show my fingernails and say, like, you know, this is something that I wanted to do. And it's okay to express myself. Um, And then I will share, though, is that in that moment, the principal actually almost let me go and not gave me detention because I had a French manicure versus something, according to her, being bolder or inappropriate but I probably took that detention in solidarity with my classmates and not wanting to get a different type of treatment um, because I, I still broke the rule, but in a different way. And so I look back and I would definitely say 13-year-old me was the first time I realized that rules were often designed to hold back expression and hold back people from being their fullest selves. And for me, that represents so, so much more when I think about governance and policy and who makes decisions and the why behind all of them.
1: I love this story, particularly as I can imagine. I remember you girls <laughs> when I was in school here in New York City, it was just like, i will them go to Catholic <laughs> school, you can't wear this, you can't wear that. How do you even like, you know, it was foreign to me to have all of those restrictions and rules and people were fine with, you know, following it. But it wasn't until later that I learned that there were a lot of people who challenged a lot of young people who challenged them. And I can't imagine like showing up to the prince's office and being like, and what? <laughs> like, look, check out my nails. Exactly. Uh, so so that's began the beginning of your career as a rule breaker and <laughs> trying to change things. And as you mentioned, for a lot of the things and particularly as you think about women, a lot of the rules that are put in place are about restricting women and their bodies, their actual cells, right, that, that they have no control over or no say over their physical bodies, who they marry just going, you know, further back or when and when they can have children and you know all of that and so connecting that of doubt from reproductive justice being at the core of it being that you individually have control and say over your body and the expression whether that is your you know physical health what is put on it what goes in it what comes out of it (laughs) that you should have control and say
2: Absolutely. Uh, Exactly that. Um, Even just to briefly share another story of what actually got me more specifically into reproductive health and rights was also, man, I had a a lot of turning points at the age of 13, I realized, Um, but it was when I was about 12 or 13, um, my mom, who had never gotten her bachelor's, decided 20 years later to go to college. So she went to Lehman College. It's a, a CUNY school in my neighborhood. And, um, you know, I went to class with her all the time, no babysitter. So here I am a middle school student going to college with her, her mom, um, who's getting her bachelor's. And, you know, she decided to become a teacher and to also study Puerto Rican studies and Latino studies and ethnic studies. And her bachelor's like final paper was actually about The forced sterilization of Puerto Rican women and the similar experiences of black and indigenous women in the United States. And she taught me about this at the age of again, 12 or 13. And that was definitely a turning point in my political education, even though I didn't join Planned Parenthood until decades later and made a career tied to these issues and values. But at the end of the day, I looked to my mom for what she taught me, literally taught me about the history of, what women of color have and continue to experience in this country. And then I looked to her as a role model because it's pretty incredible that she decided to go back to college regardless of her age or situation to do something that she wanted because she was choosing how to raise her family, when to raise her family and how to be there for her family. And that's all connected to reproductive justice
1: making those decisions, as you mentioned, for yourself in deciding Mm -hmm. on your family, being able to raise your family and having the resources to do so. We learned all of that as it pertains to uh, reproductive justice. Now, fast forward to now you being at Planned Parenthood. How does that background influence the work that you are doing now? And what is some of the work that you are doing now?
2: Oh, great. Glad you asked. So a lot of time has passed since being 13-year-old Amanda, and so now at Planned Parenthood Federation of America, I work as a senior director of constituency campaigns. Every single day is different in this career. Every single day, my guiding principle and guiding values is centering patients and ensuring that all people in this country, regardless of their race, their gender, their immigration status or income or sexuality or zip code Making sure that every person can always access affordable health care, that's compassionate health care, and be able to live their fullest selves when it comes to accessing reproductive health services. And so right now at Planned Parenthood, along with so many organizations that work in the reproductive health and rights field, are currently working together in coalition To be ready for a world where we can make sure that Roe versus Wade, which is the Supreme Court case from the 70s that legalized abortion, we're all striving to make sure that this case is protected and that we can also expand access to reproductive health services for all people across the country. This looks like everything from being involved at the state level um, and supporting proactive policy and combating defensive policies that are restricting abortion. And this also includes organizing around Supreme Court cases, which I can go on and on about if that's where we want to go. But there's so much at stake. And every single day in my job, I'm thinking through, again, carefully, how can we make sure that all patients and all people in this country have access to healthcare? And then what are the levers that we need to pull to ensure that people's rights to access this healthcare is being protected?
1: Well, just before we go to break, I want to talk about that a little bit more about what's happening in the courts, what's happening legislatively. If you can expand a, a, a little bit the, the horizon in terms of what is happening, because so much is going on at all different levels from voting rights to infrastructure to you know the economy to covid right like all of those things are happening all the time and so we rely on organizers and experts to be able to educate us about what else is happening that we should be paying attention be paying attention to not that we're not it's just that it's designed
2: that way yeah so let me be clear 2021 has been the worst year for abortion access. We, I don't like to use cliches often, um, but there have been unprecedented attacks against the legality of abortion. So already in 2021, nearly 600 abortion restrictions have been introduced in state legislatures and 90 have already passed. Also as recently as May, the Supreme Court announced that it's going to hear Mississippi's 15 week abortion ban, which is a direct challenge to Roe versus Wade. As I mentioned, it's a Supreme Court decision that affirmed our right to safe legal abortion. So this case in Mississippi was brought on by the Center for Reproductive Rights on behalf of Jackson Women's Health Organization, which is the last abortion provider in the entire state of Mississippi. It challenges a blatantly unconstitutional ban on abortion after 15 weeks of pregnancy. And this is the first direct challenge to Roe versus Wade since Justice Amy Coney Barrett was confirmed last fall to the Supreme Court. And now Mississippi's attorney general is urging the Supreme Court to completely overrule Roe versus Wade, which would be overruling over 50 years of precedent guaranteeing our right to abortion. So to be super, super clear what all this means is that Mississippi is asking the Supreme Court to overturn Roe versus Wade. And it's really unnerving that the Supreme Court has agreed to hear this case because it's always been the end goal for some politicians, the end goal to end abortion, to be able to allow states to ban abortion. And it's actually no coincidence that the politicians that are trying to restrict abortion are the same ones suppressing our vote, are the same ones proposing anti LGBTQ plus policies and bills at the state legislature, the same ones that are harming so many communities. So it's no coincidence And so not only are we going through the pandemic, we are still undergoing unprecedented legal attacks against abortion access.
1: Wow. You know, I have to be honest with you, as much as I keep up with everything that's going on in state legislatures across the country, what's happening nationally, and I do read a lot, you know, I saw a little bit of information about what's happening as it it pertains to reproductive access, particularly to abortion and restricting other pieces. But I guess COVID has really taken over everybody's attention, then voting rights, and then, you know, other things, the economy, all those things have kind of taken over. Um, And I don't see, you know, besides reproductive justice organizations, really see a lot of attention being paid to what is happening here and the impact that it could have on women, the impact that it can have on birthing people you know, across, across the spectrum with these restrictions, if they, what, what can people do just before we take a quick break? Where can we go to find about more information and sort of getting involved in particularly those states where there needs to be greater activism?
2: I love that question. So everyone that's listening, you can let your elected officials know at the state and federal level that you stand with the majority of people in this country, and you want them to protect access to safe legal abortion. 80% of Americans support access to safe legal abortion, and it is so important for your state and federal elected officials to know that. And then to get involved at a deeper level, you can text the word abortion to 22422 to join the fight with Planned Parenthood. And just to be super clear here, abortion remains legal in all 50 states. And if you're seeking additional resources, you can always go to abortionfinder.org.
1: Well, thank you so very much. That I think that's really helpful. We're going to take a quick break, and then when we come back, I want to talk about because we talked about this just before we uh, jumped on that. Quite often, we are always focused on the negative and what's happening to attack rights or restrict rights, but that there is also joy, there is also positivity in terms of the reproductive justice space. And I want to hear a little bit more about that when we come back on the other side of the break. Welcome back to Sunday Civics. We are joined by, from Planned Parenthood, Amanda Matos. (laughs) who has joined us in talking about the organizing in the reproductive justice space that is happening, Planned Parenthood being one of the organizations of many that we've had on the show to talk about this issue. But Amanda, just before we went live on air, we talked. you mentioned that you wanted to also talk about some of the value add, some of the positive, some of the joy that exists in the reproductive justice space and particularly in the organizing around reproductive justice in addition to, yes, all of the things that we have to be defensive about, but that there may be some offensive strategy. There may be some joy and some love in what is being done as well. Talk a bit more about that.
2: Absolutely. And whenever I have an opportunity to dispel a myth, I like to do that. And so I feel like every generation always has to make a claim that young people don't care or that young people aren't civically engaged. And I always look around and, you know, easily I can name endless names and people who are all young that have been mobilizing in their communities. And so again, whenever I can dispel either the myth that young people are not engaged or that communities of color are only the ones facing the impact, not leading the charge against it, I'm in and I'm ready to flip that on its head. Um, So, you know. It is true that communities of color do face disproportionate impact when it comes to health inequity. There is income inequality, there is medical racism, the history of this country was built on white supremacy. So all of that is so deeply true. And what's even truer is that communities most impacted are the communities that have the solutions and the expertise to make the change that we all deserve. And so at Planned Parenthood, we have incredible organizers and volunteer leaders that are working every single day at this intersection of advocating for their reproductive rights, their voting rights, immigration rights, and ensuring that their communities, especially black and Latinx communities, are at the center of all their organizing work. So just to brag a little bit about the folks I get to work with every single day, we have three organizing programs. We have RAIS, which is Spanish for Roots, which is our Latinx organizing program that spans nearly half the country. We have a Black organizing program that includes robust organizing in partnership with HBCUs. And we have our program Planned Parenthood Generation Action, which is our campus-based organizing, where we're at nearly 300 universities across the country with a direct focus on supporting young people of color as leaders on their campuses. And there's joy all the time. Not only do we celebrate each other's accomplishments, but we're building up each other's leadership skills, we are holding each other as whole individuals. We're doing mutual aid work, policy, and so, so much more. And to give us a, a little bit of a taste of what these folks do is that, you know, to give an example, organizers from our Black organizing program right now this summer are, have been leading COVID-19 vaccine outreach work to tackle access barriers in Detroit, specifically access barriers that Black communities and other communities of color have been facing during this pandemic. We have organizers in the South that are leading a Black Muslim fellowship for young people across North and South Carolina, West Virginia and Virginia, to build networks of young people that are engaging civically, that are working on healing and faith and patient advocacy work and any levers they can do to improve Black maternal health. Our race organizers from the Latinx program have worked on sex ed issues in arizona they have worked on getting sanctuary city status for illinois and they're organizing farm workers in rural parts of washington state to ensure that all folks can access health care and so while we're tackling issues every single day we're doing it by and for these are leaders from the community that are identifying the changes that need to be made and are working tirelessly to make sure that they're immediate family, friends, and local community have what they need to thrive. And I love bragging about them because they're awesome.
1: That sounds awesome. (laughs) It sounds uh, amazing about the work that particularly organizers, I love, you know, bragging about organizers and the work they're able to do when they're actually connecting and engaging with people on ground and in communities. And, you know, connected to that is quite frankly, in the larger national conversation and everything about reproductive justice is always focused on abortion. And um, that is the battleground, that is the fight that, you know, has been waged at least as long as I've known um, about reproductive justice is everything is centered around abortion. But talk a bit more about what other things encompasses reproductive justice that we should have on our plate, in an offensive strategy as well as a defensive strategy, in terms of what else is going on that I know that Planned Parenthood, you know, among other organizations, provide and are engaged in. But for a lot of people, they just think, "Oh, Planned Parenthood, oh, reproductive justice, abortion," and that's all that they know.
2: So Planned Parenthood health centers provide reproductive health care to literally everyone. That was makes me so proud to work where I work. So it doesn't matter a person's race or gender or immigration status, type of health insurance, zip code, or even ability to pay for health services. Planned Parenthood is there for our patients no matter what. And that in and of itself, you know, lends itself to what more broadly reproductive justice means. And so at Planned Parenthood Federation of America, when we're thinking of proactive, offensive, and defensive strategies to achieve reproductive freedom, we're thinking about can undocumented people access affordable and compassionate health care? And for Planned Parenthood health centers, the answer is yes. And how do we ensure that we are working with immigration partners across the country to be good allies to think about the intersection between accessing reproductive health care services and the barriers somebody who's undocumented might face. And so we see this even in Texas of the 100 mile border and the fact that there are also in border patrols within the state and the challenges somebody that is undocumented must face as they're trying to seek reproductive health care needing to drive miles and miles and risk deportation. And so when I think about reproductive justice, reproductive health and rights all coming together, that's one of many, many other examples. The same thing is tied to gender identity, ensuring that folks can receive gender affirming care from Planned Parenthood, and that we're also standing in solidarity with leading experts on how do we actually ensure that reproductive health care is gender affirming and gender inclusive of all identities. So those are just some examples. And we do go back to abortion because it is normal. And one in four women in their lifetime will have actually had an abortion, which shows how common it is. And at the end of the day, it's so important that when we think about reproductive health, we're thinking about all the steps it takes for a person to be able to access that care and that's part of reproductive justice.
1: Yeah, I think it's really important to think about it holistically. I like to talk to, even to young people about when we're talking about reproductive justice, we're talking about, you know, we're our whole selves, right? And so that means that it's not, we're not just focused on one part of our body or one part of who we are, but all those things are interconnected, right? And so who we are, our identity is tied to our health, is tied to the food we eat, our culture, everything. And so if we think about reproductive justice in that way, what do you need to be able to make decisions on your own about your body and about your life? And it's including in all of those things. And so while, yes, the consistent attacks on the right to an abortion as a healthcare care um, procedure. <laughs> one, of, uh, one of many, right? There are also other things you need to be able to, if you decide to have a family, to have the a working economy for you to be able to do so. You need to be able to have adequate child care so that you can re-enter the workforce if you so choose to, right? So all of those things are connected and all of that is connected to reproductive justice over o- overall.
2: Yes, and if I can quote one of my favorite leaders, and she'll be surprised that I'm going to quote her, but Winnie Yee. When Winnie was in college, I was a community organizer and had the honor of being on a panel with her. And she was our youth leader representing Planned Parenthood. And she was asked this exact question, like, what does reproductive justice mean to you as a young person? And her response was the MTA fair hikes. This was at a moment that the MetroCard fares were going up and there were debates on whether or not students should get a discount. And her response in that moment just shocked the audience because folks weren't there to understand issues of transportation in New York City. They wanted to learn more about what they thought was reproductive health and rights. And Winnie spun spun it around and made it very clear that if a young person can't afford the subway fare to go make a health appointment, then that's it. It's a healthcare desert. And we need to tackle issues of making transportation more affordable for young people in order to ensure that they're living healthy lives and can go to the doctors. And so again, I want to quote Winnie Yee. And I remember this moment, maybe it was like a decade ago at this point, where she proudly made the connection between what she was going through and not being able to access a subway fare and her reproductive health and well-being.
1: Absolutely. Because the transportation, Because even as we talk about, you know, the abortion access and how looking at maps and looking at states where people are restricting access and you can only use a hospital. Well, if you live in certain parts of the country, a hospital may be 50, 60 miles away. And if you don't have transportation, then how are you able to access that? Right? So being able to have those discussions about access to quality health care in general, and then having the resources resources to be able to actually um, enjoy (laughs) and engage um, that actual uh, healthcare system. Well, Amanda, thank you so much for educating us about what Planned Parenthood is doing, what you're doing in the reproductive justice space, and also how we should be on guard about what's happening in this, past, in this past year. Because as you mentioned, you know, for a lot of, there's a lot going on, right? There's a lot going on in terms of people paying attention, but the Supreme Court should, is going to be hearing this case and it can have a significant impact on our rights going
2: forward. Absolutely, and so we're preparing that no matter what, we're going to push. We're going to push because not until everybody can access affordable health care, affordable and legal and safe reproductive health care, then our job's not done. So no matter the outcome, Planned Parenthood is keeping its doors open. We're working with our reproductive justice partners, and we're ensuring that no matter the outcome of the Supreme Court decision, that we're going to continue working on expanding access to reproductive health care and abortion. And that's part of reproductive justice, knowing that Roe versus Wade is not the ceiling, it's the floor. And that's what reproductive justice partners have made clear to us. We have a long way ahead, but we're committed for it. Well, thank you very
1: much, Amanda, for coming to the front of the class and giving us that um, education. You. We certainly look forward to having you back to talk more about it. perhaps obviously when the, the, the case is on, but give us one more time for those who are listening attentively and did not have anything to write things down with or their phone or they were driving. What else can people do to get more information and also to get engaged?
2: Absolutely, I'm gonna give folks three things to do. So first, let your elected officials know that you stand with Planned Parenthood and you want them to protect access to safe legal abortion. So call your representative at that local, state, and federal level and have that conversation. Number two, to get involved, you can text the word abortion to 22422 to join us in the fight. And lastly, I'm just going to remind everyone, abortion remains legal in all three states. And if you or any of your loved ones are seeking care or more information, you can go to abortionfinder.org. Thank you all so, so much.
1: We'll be back next Sunday with more class and more civics lessons you can use. Have a good day.